Bags down, spikes on, welcome to the track. Hi, my name is Colin Waitzman, and I'm going to be your host for this episode of Track World News, presented by The Harrier. And before we get into everything, please make sure that you leave a like, subscribe, leave a review. Uh, really helps us know that you're enjoying everything that's going on here. Um, so yeah, make sure that you, you go and do that. Um, now, uh, as you can see, this episode is much longer than most of our, our normal episodes. It's because uh, at the end of this, we're actually going to be having an interview um, with a close friend of mine, Bronco. He owns a pole vaulting company up here in northern New Jersey. And so we, uh, we had a, a great discussion uh, talking about the Shakari Richardson situation, uh, just overall PED use in track and field, what we need to do to change track and field because there's a lot of issues. Uh, you know, with the business side of things and just what we would like to see more from our sport um, so that we're not having the biggest names in our sport and not be able to compete at the biggest meets. Uh, it's a really great conversation, so uh, listen to the end of this little first part. So uh, we're not, I'm not going to talk too much about some of the um, stuff that happened with uh, in the news now because we're going to be going very, very in-depth with that in the second half of this episode. So if right now during this first section you don't hear some of the stuff you want to talk about, uh, we definitely talk about that and a whole lot more in that next hour. So uh, go and make sure to tune in there. Uh, now, so obviously this, uh, this year with track and field has been a roller coaster. Uh, we have had the highest of highs. We've had the lowest of lows, all within a three and four week period. Uh, a lot of stuff has happened. And so right now, I want to talk about one of the best things that happened recently uh, and start with a positive note before we get into all the stuff of the, of the negatives. So first, uh, Carson Warholm, uh, he ended up just recently breaking the world record in the 400 meter hurdles. Uh, he broke Kevin Young's record, and this was the longest standing uh, world record on the men's side of track and field. It's been standing since 1992, which would make it 29 years old. Yes, that is obviously older than Warholm himself. So this world record's been standing for a mighty long time. And uh, he ran a 46.70. Uh, the world record was a 46.78. Uh, and he did this out of lane seven. It looks like lane seven is his favorite lane because what was really cool in this thing, uh, in this race, which I hope that they do more often because it was pretty awesome, is that they let the person that's the number one seed pick what lane they want to be in. So uh, for him, that's lane seven. So he has one person on the outside, a whole bunch of people on the inside. He likes taking the lead. He likes going out fast, which can't blame him. It doesn't seem like a bad decision in my mind. So he took the lead. He went out fast. He ended up winning. It was a huge thing. He had a lot of emotion going on. It was so cool because it was pretty much like a home meet for him. So right when they they yell, they called his name, he's yelling. He's like, ah, he's hyping himself up. He's hyping the crowd up. Uh, and then after the, um, after he runs the world record, he's going insane. He's going He's going crazy, which is cool. And he's smacking the world record board, showing how he, you know, just recently ran it. And it was, it was so cool. He had a lot of emotion. Um, and I guarantee you that Rye Benjamin was sitting at home watching this, uh, saying, okay, cool. Yeah. All right. Bet. Kind of like that, uh, Cam Newton, uh, video where he just goes, all right, bet. And then ends up scoring touchdowns or whatever it is. So 
fantastic race for him. Uh, this is his first race of the year in the 400-meter hurdles. So to open up running a world record just shows that that record is going to be broken more times this year. Uh, I feel at the Olympics, it's going to take a world record to win it between Warholm and him. It, I don't see how 46.70 in the beginning of July is going to make it through the end of July. There, there's two guys that are right up there. We saw um, Rye Benjamin run dang near an American record not too long ago. And so at the uh, Olympic trials. So I am not going, I would not be surprised if there is a world record that we're going to be seeing going down at the Olympics. If there's any bet you see uh, on the 400 meter hurdles and the world record going down, take it. It's a guarantee. That's, I'd be locking that in for sure. So that was a fantastic race for him and, and really an awesome, awesome performance overall. Uh, definitely one that I would, I would recommend, you know, taking a look at if you get the shot. Um, next, this is kind of going off of it, but what's the best rivalry we have in track and field right now? And taking a look at some of the, the best runners and the best field event uh, athletes and all that, there's a good list, and there's a trend you're going to see. I'll, I'll get into it right now. So um, these are some of the best rivalries that I see in track and field right now. Um, and so we're not doing... Uh, a group of people uh, versus another group of people, just individual athletes versus individual athletes. So uh, Warholm and Benjamin, great rivalry uh, in the 400-meter hurdles, obviously. Uh, Muhammad and McLaughlin, also in the 400-meter hurdles. Holloway versus McLeod in the 110 hurdles. Uh, Sam Kendricks versus Mondo Duplantis in the pole vault. Uh, Joe Kovacs uh, versus Ryan Krauser in the uh, shot put. Uh, Bryce Hopple versus Donovan Brazier in the 800. Uh, sadly, we're not going to be seeing all of these performances at the 100 or at the Olympics. And another person I wanted to put in was, would be Shelly Ann Fraser Price versus, uh, Shakari Richardson, but they really haven't ran against each other before. It's just a rivalry because it's U.S. versus the Olympics. And this being Shakari or, or this being Shelly Ann Fraser Price's last Olympics and Shakari not being able to run, it's kind of hard to say it's a rivalry there, but that's definitely a race people want to see. Um, and out of all of those, what is it, one, two, three, four, five, six, it, oh, three of them are, what's it called, uh, hurdle races. I mean, the two, we just saw two world records go down the 400-meter hurdles with Warholm and, and then McLaughlin. And so these, are, these, these four athletes are ones that have the ability to be world record holders they either already are, they were, or they definitely could be. Benjamin's the only person here that has never held a world record uh, yet. Um, but the hurdles right now is going insane. Uh, obviously, we have Holloway versus McLeod, Olympic champion versus the, uh, the world record holder in the 60-meter hurdles. Sadly, we're not going to be seeing that going on in the Olympics because McLeod, uh, he didn't perform well at the Olympic trials or for Jamaica. He pulled up. It looks like he had a, like a cramp or something and it just didn't, didn't work out for him. Uh, he, he talked about how they had a, a late race the night before and then early race the next morning and his body just didn't react well to it. So it thinks we're not going to be seeing that. And then obviously Donovan Brazier didn't make the team in the, in the 800, but those are some of the best rivalries that I see. And if it were me, like if there was ever a meet that has these people competing, I definitely want to see it. Now, there's other big time athletes, of course. Uh, and I think one rivalry uh, that I'm thinking can definitely become uh, a big time one uh, would be 
um, what's his name, Noah Lyles and Arian Knighton. They're two guys, they trained together, uh, Knighton broke uh, Lyles' record, or like the high school record for the 200, and they're, I think that that can become a really fun rivalry that, that we're going to be seeing. Obviously, they're training partners, so they're, they're friendly, but of course they want to see, you know, they want to win themselves. Uh, but I'd love to hear from you guys. What do you think is the best rivalry in sports right now or in track and field right now? Uh, there's definitely a lot of athletes that I have left off the table. Um, so there's a ton of different ones that you can, that you can bring up and I'd love to hear them. Uh, so yeah, those, um, the future's bright with track and field. Um, Something that uh, that's good on another positive note is that we're going to be having five years straight of major championships happening. We have the Olympics this year. We have the World Championships in 2022. Uh, then we have another World Championship in 2023. Then we have, or is it the United States Championship? Well, we have another championship in 2023. Then we have the Olympics in 2024, and another Worlds in 25, and and. Yeah, so there's going to be a lot of really meaningful track that's going to be happening. So even if your favorite athlete wasn't able to make the Olympic team, they had a stumble, whatever it is, uh, we have five straight years of them being able to, to bounce back. So there's a lot of good track that's going to be coming around the bend. Uh, the next, the, the other two real major storylines that kind of took over all of track and field and, and just really sports in general. Like there were, you saw people that have never talked about track and field a day in their life tuning in on these things. And, and it was so clear, like you had people coming out the woodwork that are, are just angry or, or saying nonsense or whatever it is. Um, obviously we're talking about the Shakari Richardson um, ban. Um, like I said, we're going to be talking about it more in depth in this next uh, hour that you see. And we talk about it a lot. So I just want to briefly go over what happened and, and, uh, and everything like that. So, Obviously, Shakari Richardson, 100-meter runner for the United States, tested positive for marijuana right during the Olympic trials. Um, she had mentioned that, uh, especially at the Olympic trials, her, her biological mother had passed away recently. She actually heard about it in an interview. So it's just from some random stranger telling her that her biological mother had passed away. Uh, that hit her really hard as it would anyone, I'm sure. And one way that she, she coped with that was, was smoking some, some marijuana. Uh, and that obviously related into her testing positive and then now having to serve a one month ban. And, uh, so she's not going to be competing in the 100 because the race itself for the, the hurdles or not the hurdles for the Olympic trials was, was taken away. So that result, it's as if she never even competed at the Olympic trials because uh, of this one month ban. Uh, I think it's dumb uh, that we're still testing for, for marijuana. Like it's, I don't know why it's a, a thing. I mean, uh, I, they say that it's because of the, the health of the athletes, um, the sanctity of the sport. And if there's any performance uh, help and it's the reason, their reasoning for still testing for it is uh, archaic in my mind. But uh it's, she owned up to it, which was great. I mean, she said, yup, I did this. It's a mistake. I got to sit out. What can you do? Um, but this is going to be the last Olympics that U.S. isn't winning uh, in the, the women's 100, which I love the attitude for it uh, and excited to see her, see her be able to come back. So that was really um, heartbreaking uh, to see there. But, you know, it, it had to happen. Uh, people are saying, oh, she could still compete. Uh, I think the the hurdle or the relay coach uh, had already said that they're not going to be taking Shakari, so we're not going to most likely be seeing her running in that. 
Um, next, Brianna McNeil. So th- she is the 2016 Olympic champion in the 100-meter hurdles. She uh, lost her appeal for a five-year ban, so she's now going to be banned for five years. Once again, this is another story we talk about in the next hour. Keep prefacing that, but I want to make sure that, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not just glossing over this because we don't know what we're talking about. I'm glossing over it because we have more in-depth, and I don't want it to be redundant later in the episode. But, um, yeah, so Brianna McNeil, she's banned for five years. That means she's done with this Olympics, and she will not be able to compete at next Olympics. And she's not going to be able to compete in any of these majors that are happening over the next five years. Uh, This is the most amount of majors that's going to be happening in in track and field history. And she's not going to be able to compete in any of it. Uh, I mean, she's the the effect that this has had on her um, on her career is crazy, uh, especially because she never tested positive for any banned substances. These have all been. Um, whereabouts issues or tampering. And when we say tampering, it's not like she's opening up, you know, a jar of, you know, urine and, and swapping it out for clean ones. Uh, she's, what happened was she miswrote a date on a form and that was considered tampering. And now she's banned for five years. Uh, on top of that, uh, I, I can only imagine the, the mental strain she's going through right now because about a month ago she had lost her younger brother in a car crash. And so to go from losing her younger brother in a car crash, um, she had also mentioned how one reason that she missed a whereabouts was because she was recovering from an abortion. So she had to go through that mental aspect of things. She lost her brother and then now being told you're banned for five years, it's like, that's crazy. I mean, the, the, the mental strains she must be going through is probably pretty insane. Uh, I could not uh, imagine being there. There is several petitions to get her back uh, and like changes like on like change.org. So if you want to look her up on, on Instagram, I think it's, you know, Brianna Rollins, or if you look up Brianna McNeil, you'll be able to find it there. But, um, yeah, so if you would like to hear more about these two stories and a lot of other stuff, it's a fantastic conversation. Really hope that you guys tune into it or continue to listen. But um, yeah, so here we go. And here's a, a great conversation that I had with Bronco of Apex Vaulting. Uh, talk to you soon and bye. All right. So today we have a special guest. If, you're, if you've listened to the show over a year or so, uh, you, it's a familiar name. Uh, today we have Bronco joining us. He is the owner creator of, of Apex Vaulting. Recently has opened up their very first franchise. I think he might be the only franchise owner in pole vault club history, at least here in America. So first, congratulations on that and, and welcome, to, Thanks, uh, welcome to the show again. Hey, th- thank you for having me. Um, you know, I, one, I think you're running an awesome podcast. Uh, I see you putting out a lot of great content. Obviously, I'm a little bit pole vault uh, centric. <laughs> I, I kind of just like look for pole vault stuff, but you're putting out a lot of great stuff. And uh, I'm excited to talk about the topics that, that we're going to discuss today. For sure. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Um, and yeah, so today what we have uh, on the slate is, I guess, kind of the Track is in the news, but for all the wrong reasons, really. And <laughs> it seems like we're, there, it's been a roller coaster of emotions where uh, three weeks, like we've had world records and then we've had heartbreaks all within the span of a few weeks. And just yeah. how to really um, you know how does track and field handle this and, and moving forward? Um, could you kind of touch on just some of the stuff that we've seen in, in track and field recently that's, you know, brought us to what we, you know, hope to talk about today? 
Yeah. So, I mean, before we get into the, uh, the really juicy stuff, yeah. um, just like what you bring up, I think what's really, really interesting for me at this time of year or this uh, kind of Olympic year time, uh, Olympic trials, world championships and Olympics, what I think is always exciting is in track, a lot of times you go to a professional track meet, they're not always super competitive. You know, they're going to the meets, they're kind of putting on a display, you know, and you may see amazing records. I mean, like the 400 hurdle record was just broken at, at a, one of the professional meets in Europe. Uh, but what I find interesting is when it really is competitive, like you're trying to make an Olympic team or you're at the Olympics and you're trying to medal. Now we see that, that stuff where it's like people come out of the woodwork who you didn't expect and they might place or medal and you're like, oh my goodness. And you see other people choke, you know, under pressure. And that I feel like we have to kind of talk about more in our sport and discuss. Uh, those are the stories that, that really excite me. But obviously I think the biggest thing right now is, is that failed drug test um, over pot. And I think, I, I don't know, I mean, what are, Colin, what are your thoughts on, on that? Like when, if, yeah. when you first heard it come out, what were you thinking? Yeah. So first I was like, I was in disbelief, didn't think it was real because it's like the very first thing that I saw was like, Oh, it's a, it's a Jamaican like news story breaks about an American sprinter. You know, obviously the Jamaican U S rivalry, huge one. So I was like, yeah, okay, this, let me wait and see what's happening. And then it started unfolding. I'm like, Oh man, this is, this is really happening. This, this is, this is going down. We're seeing the biggest name in track and field since Usain Bolt is going to be, not allowed to run in the Olympics, which is, is wild to me. And um, so what I kind of thought about it is that one, I don't think that it should be tested for to begin right. with. Like, I think that it's dumb. I don't care if my favorite athlete decides, Hey, I, I have some anxiety. I just need to, I need to, you know, get, I need to smoke some weed, whatever it is. I, I do not care. I don't think it should be mm -hmm. um, enforced. But if it is, and we're going to decide to have it be enforced, then I think the punishment should fit the crime. And it's like mm -hmm. a one-month ban in the middle of April of some random year is very different than a one-month ban a month into, like when the Olympics are a month away. It's a very different ban. Yeah. And so yeah. I think that the punishment needs to fit the crime, and it does not in this situation. Well, so I, I think a, a couple of things, and I, I was thinking about this on the drive-in to do this. I mean, one, I, I want to give props to Shikari Richardson. I think that, you know, when the failed test came out, she owned up to it um, and she accepted it. I mean, she even said like, look, if, if they allow me to run the four by one, because that's outside the one month window, I'd be grateful. But hey, you know, I knew the rule. I broke the rule, whatever. And so I really got a lot of respect for her. I think that's amazing that, that she stepped forward like that. Exactly. Um, now, you know, what you're talking about, like consistency uh, of fairness in punishment, that's, that's an interesting, you know, topic. Uh, I'm sure also, and I want to bring up uh, Shelby Houlihan's uh, situation. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you heard about the distance oh, yeah. runner that failed a drug test. And she said it was over you know tainted uh pork in a, in burrito. a burrito yeah and i know everybody laughs and that's like a funny haha -ha, like you know she's obviously lying that's what everybody thinks right um but what i think is interesting with like wada and the ioc and the way they test all these athletes is 
in Shelby Houlihan's case, if she actually ate a meal and now she tested positive, you know, it, it's not a such a crazy scenario. I remember a few years back, it might've been like five years ago, WADA sent out a memo or an email to all the Olympic athletes saying, if you're traveling through Asia and Russia, don't eat the meat because it might be tainted. And it's like, wait a second, at what levels are you testing people that if I eat ground beef, I'm gonna fail a drug test and now I, I'm gonna be held responsible for that? So the one thing is like about Shikari Richardson's situation, like she knew the rule. You can't smoke pot. You, it, it's, it's against the rules. And she didn't by accident smoke it. You know what I mean? Like she didn't come out and say like, well, I, I thought I was smoking a cigar and yeah. someone put something in it. So from that perspective, it's like, okay, she did break the rule. Now, on the other hand, like what you're bringing up, I think if you want to argue whether or not that should be tested, I think, you know, we can definitely have a discussion there. I think even like what you're bringing up, okay, well, what is a fair punishment for pot. The other thing that I've heard a lot of people talk about, um, as I was talking to friends uh, who are in the track community, uh, you know, yes, in America, a lot of places pot is legal, but you know, again, the Olympics are international, so it is illegal in certain countries. Although again, I don't know why the IOC would care about that, right? Like we're, they're, they're not governing what countries are doing, they're governing what's allowed in their event, the Olympics. Yeah. So I, I don't know. And, and again, we talked about this off the podcast. So I mean, I, I guess I'll open up to this. I think the bigger situation is, unlike the NFL, Major League Baseball, the NBA and the NHL, there is no players association. There is no players union there. The, the players have no leverage and no say on how the drug testing is going to be done, what levels they're testing at. Because the thing is, too, when this came out, you know, with Shakari Richardson and even the Shelby Houlihan thing, I think the people, most people don't realize the levels. And I don't even know specifically, right? Like, I don't know the milligrams or whatever, but like the IOC is testing at such strict levels. I mean, I'm sure uh, a lot of people, if, if they know anything about the UFC, when John Jones failed his most recent test a few years back, he failed for a picogram, which is such a small amount. It's like something like hundreds of thousands of uh, a fraction of a grain of sand, right? So it's like, why are we testing at that strict of a level? You know, this is not a level where this is like, oh, this is a performance enhancing thing. Like, again, you might eat tainted, you know, meat that could give produce this result. Or you might have supplements that you took that maybe when they cleaned the vats, you know, from whatever they made originally in those vats, they didn't clean it well enough. So there's trace amounts in your creatine or protein powder. Um, and unfortunately, I think right now, because Shakari Richardson is such a big story, and even you have people in the political world discussing this now, you know, you have people that have no idea about supplements, no idea about training, no idea about track, no idea about drug testing, and they're commenting on this and they don't know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's... um. It's brought like the entire world like to talking about this. I saw someone, some reporter asked Joe Biden about what he thought <laughs> about this thing the other day. And like people, you know, you have the, they, they're talking about it on like first take and whatever, like people right. that don't, that don't talk about track except during right. this, except when a scenario exactly like this happens. And so right. it's like, you got people all over like the, all over the spectrum, like getting involved with something like mm -hmm. this. And 
Yeah, like you said, I, I, in my opinion, it, I would think if you are, if you're testing for like different PEDs or, or whatever it is, like the testing level should be where it's you're you're taking it on purpose. Like if if you're finding something where it's like, oh yeah, right. this is so small, this this is such a small amount where the average person wouldn't even know that they're taking it. Like they, they'd be like, oh right. dang, I had a burrito from Chipotle, and I I just so have to, I wouldn't pass a drug test right now. Be like. Well, right. I, I thought I would have, but you see what I'm, so it's like, it shouldn't be where people are unknowingly going, you know, or, or do you not see a, it also like, if you're not seeing a dramatic, like improvement in their performance, then it's probably a good idea. Like, yeah, they most likely didn't take steroids. If they, if they, their PR stayed the same and they tested mm-hmm. positive, well, maybe they, then let's think about maybe there was an accident and they didn't actually take it. It's in this picograms, like you're saying, where it's smaller than a grain of sand. Right, right. No, 100%. I'm sure we, I'm sure everyone who's listening has heard the stories like, I feel like in high school, everybody would talk about this is like, Oh, dude, if you eat too many poppy seed bagels, you know, you'll, you'll fail a drug test, you know what I mean? So it's like, again, if they're testing at that such strict of a level, and, and you said their performance is not enhanced, you know what I mean? It's like, well, what's the point? And I feel like if the athletes had more leverage, they could argue this because I think, you know, again, I don't know exactly, but I, I, whatever level they test testosterone at is usually about a thousand in the IOC. So if you pop over a thousand, you fail. And I think in the NFL, it's like 3000, right? So it's like, if you fail a drug test in the NFL for steroids, it's like, you're taking a lot of steroids. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're definitely failing. And like, to your point, I think let's say the average person just had to take like a PED drug test. Who knows how often the average person might fail who literally doesn't even take a supplement, doesn't take anything. And they were just like pop positive. You know what I mean? So it's like how many of these positive tests are really like unsubstantial. It's like, this is not a significant amount. This is not someone who's like, you know, sticking needles in them every other day and, and, you know, juicing themselves up, you know, to the gills. So, are we trying to actually catch, you know, major PED use or are we trying not let anything slip through the cracks, you know? Yeah. And it's like, I, I don't know if you look at something like the NFL, you may be able to make the case, right? Well, maybe there is more PED use actually in the NFL, but the way they handle it in their sport, look, they're getting major abusers. They punish them. Also, the punishments in the NFL, if you fail a drug test, you miss like four games, I think, for the first strike. You know what I mean? It's not a two-year ban, like, which is unbelievable. Like, a two-year ban for for an Olympic sport athlete, you might as well just retire. That's, I mean, how many people are going to be able to do what Justin Gatlin did, which is serve a two-year ban, and he's a 100 meters runner. Yeah. If he loses even just two-tenths of a second – which is such a slim margin, he's out of the sport. And somehow he stayed in it, right? But for most people, you get a two-year ban. Like, that's it. Your career is over. You know, so it's like, are we really trying to just crush the sport? Because I remember, do you do you remember when Tyson Gay was the yeah. top American sprinter? And Usain Bolt, obviously, top sprinter. And it was heading towards Worlds. I was so excited. I want to see those two guys run. Because Tyson was really starting to hit some good times. And it was like, he failed a drug test literally like weeks before Worlds. And to me, I'm like, oh my God, you don't even want to watch Worlds. Like, what's the point? Yeah. That was the point. That would have been like going into the Super Bowl, like Tampa Bay versus Kansas City. And it's like, oh, 
you know what? Like half the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, including Tom Brady, failed drug tests, so they're going to put all the backups in. Would you watch yeah. the Super Bowl? Like that's yeah. – uh, Yeah, I don't that's the, I think the biggest thing right there is like how long these time frames are, because one thing that's, that hurts the track track and field is there's no set schedule. So it's not like you can just say, yeah, you miss three meets because there's some people that don't start competing. Like what profession, there's some athletes that the Olympic trials was their first meet of the year. And then there are wow. other athletes where they've been competing since indoor. So it's like, it's, wow. there's no set schedule. And like, a big thing that I saw just recently was you see the uh, Brianna McNeil um, suspension. So, so um, what event? The hurdler. Uh, hurdler was like two days ago. It got uh, confirmed. Uh, so I'll I'll go over it briefly. So okay. uh, Brianna McNeil, yeah. she's she she served a two year suspension in 2017 for a whereabouts failure. Okay. Um, and that it was because oh she, my goodness, uh, going to the White House. She ho- celebrating a holiday, and then she was recovering from uh, an abortion. And so this was, so then this, she didn't want to, you know, talk about what was going on. So it's a very personal thing, obviously with, with what you're going through. And so then this was in January of 2020, like the person, the drug test or whatever was like, all right, we need to have the date that you were recovering so that you can, you know, we can confirm with your scheduling, whatever it was. And she wrote down the wrong date by one day. And so that got a tampering violation. And now she's banned for five years. She's never tested positive for drugs. And so by the time her ban's over, she would have, she would have served a seven years suspension for never being, uh, for never testing positive once. And that would be over half of her career had been taken away from her because of, and never actually testing positive. And so it's like, imagine if we suspended LeBron James for five years like in like during like when he was 28 like yeah we're done you can't compete for five years like (laughs) but here's the thing i don't even think that's applicable because if you think about it right in a a four year period you have one olympics and two world championships right so there's a year which is like just a gap year you don't do anything as a track athlete right if we're specifically talking about track so that's not even the equivalent. Like that would that would be if, if she's serving seven years, that that would be more like LeBron serving like twelve yeah. years suspension, you know. And that that's what people don't realize about track athletes too. It's not the same window. They don't get to have a major world championship every single year. It's three out of four, you know. So you lose a year anyway out of your career almost just because there's this gap year where I don't know why, but we don't do anything, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is, again, going back to the point of like a players association, like if she had representation, right? Like if the players union could go up to the IOC and be like, no, this is not happening. Like drug test her right now, you know, like we have her here, just have her do the drug test. You're not going to suspend her for five, seven years because she like missed the day. Just freaking do it another day. That's it. You know, mm-hmm. um, Cause I mean, did you ever hear about uh, Serena Williams had an interesting like uh, missed drug test? Did you yeah. ever hear about that? Yeah, I heard about yeah, it. There yeah, was, there was one time where like they came to test her and her claim was she thought someone was gonna try to like break into the house or something like that. So she hid in her house and she didn't get tested that day. I mean, listen, I don't know what the situation was but you know, the tennis uh, world is like, yeah, we're not gonna give her a strike. like. 
we'll figure it out. We'll test her another day. Like we're just, we're not going to deal with this. Like we're not kicking out our best athlete from the sport. And like, I, I think that's the issue with track. We almost, I think because of the eighties and nineties and a lot of the drug scandals, right? Like the Ben Johnson thing, you still, you mentioned the name Ben Johnson or Charlie Francis, like people cringe in the track world. Um, which I, ironically enough in the strength and conditioning world, you mentioned Charlie Francis, people like have nothing but praise for him. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think we're still trying to like go overboard and, and go extreme. on like, Oh, we're super clean in the track world. Well, look at what every other sport is doing. They're not, they're not going to spite their own sport just to make sure everything looks perfect and clean. But again, I, I think the athletes need representation which I'm going to add another thing here, right? In the NFL, we know how much everybody gets paid. Yeah. Like as fans, like we know the contracts, right? Track athletes don't even always know what other track athletes are making, right? Like let's say me and you were, I don't know, like the top discus guys in the world, right? Yeah. You're number one, I'm number two. How do I know what Nike or Adidas are paying you? The only way I'm going to find out is if you actually let me know. And if I don't know how much you're getting paid, how much should I be getting paid? Right? So let's say Nike pays you, I don't know, $300,000 for being the top discus guy. And you're, I don't know, German, let's say. And I'm from Italy. I, that would be good information. If they're paying you 300 grand and now I can go up to Nike and be like, well, I'm not signing for a hundred. You pay this guy 300. Like yeah. I'm not, I'm not losing 200 grand. I mean, I'm like literally inches away from beating this guy. I need more money. I'm going to go to Adidas then. Right. So now I have more leverage. So like in the NFL, I, I'll keep using the NFL as an example, right? If you're Tom Brady and I'm Patrick Mahomes or vice versa. Now, when I go to my contract negotiation, I, I can be like, well, this is what the top quarterbacks had paid. I just got MVP this year. So I expect, you know, more money. Like you can't mm -hmm. pay me this base contract of 10 million or whatever. Right. But even the track athletes don't always know how much everyone's getting paid. So no one actually knows if they have leverage. Right. Yeah. I remember one time, um, you know, talking to a professional pole vaulter um, when the diamond league, I don't, I don't know if you remember when the diamond league said they were going to cut the triple jump, yeah, this was like two case. years, two years ago or something. Yeah, like that, right? yeah, 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 yeah. To to kind of like streamline the meets and make them go faster, right? They're yeah. like gonna get rid of triple jump, get rid of the two hundred steeple chase, and I forget which throw. One of the uh, throws, I couldn't remember which one. Yeah, I but can't. I thought it was like, My, was it hammer? Yeah, but maybe it might have been hammer. Yeah. But like, it was interesting, right? Because like what they did was they eliminated one event from all the disciplines, right? They eliminated a jump, they eliminated a sprint, they eliminated a distance, they eliminated a throw. But I thought it was also very interesting because I talked to this professional, you know, again, on the phone. And I was like, I think it's very interesting how they picked steeplechase out of the distance. Because if you're an actual fan of track and field, steeplechase is definitely more popular than watching most exciting distance event yeah <laughs> that right. and the, that and the 1500 right. are the right. two that i'll watch yeah <laughs> right so it's like why would you not cut out the 10k 
why would you cut out the steeplechase? It's amazing. Everybody watch, everybody loves watching the steeplechase. And if someone trips and falls into the water hazard, you know, it's like th there's a chance for steeplechase, something crazy to happen. And that that's going to get attention of fans. But think about it. A lot of the people that are running our sport and because there's no athlete involvement and they don't even know, the athletes don't even know what's popular, right? Well, you know, you have these people just making willy-nilly decisions, right? And what I was explaining to, to this professional pole vaulter was, I said, you know, I don't even know if the IOC or the Diamond League, IAAF, if they even want to know or have this information. But what they should be doing when they're selling tickets to these meets, you should have to like, they should almost have like a little survey as you, as you purchase your ticket. It's like, have a list of events and be like, pick out your top three favorite events. Pick out your top three favorite athletes and have a list of names because now they could truly know. Like, obviously, when you have like a Usain Bolt and Shikari Richardson seems like she's going to be the, the female version of Usain Bolt, you know, they're going to get a, a, a lot of fans. They're going to garner a lot of interest. But with everybody else, you don't know where they stand, right? Okay, what, what is attracting more fans when we're, you know, in Germany doing a Diamond League meet? What is attracting more fans when we're at Icon Stadium for, for a professional meet in New York City? You know, what is the favorite event and what, who are the favorite athletes and what athletes do we need to have here? But that's the thing. I don't know that the IAAF and IOC wants to have that information out there because if the fans knew that and if the athletes knew that, and now Colin, you're that number one discus thrower. And guess what? When they, when they go to Germany, cause you're German, oh my goodness, you're gonna, you're gonna pack the stadium. Well, they don't want you to know that because now you might be able to ask for, for more money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's um, I think that, the business side of our sport struggles a lot to get outside of the family and friends aspect of it. Like right. one thing, for example, this is a great example. I really, really, really wanted to go to the Nat the NCAA championship or the Olympic trials. I was, I was on three different email lists to get priority tickets. I, I really wanted to go. Like I did everything that I could. I called the people. I, I was looking on emails, everything. And I don't find out until two, was it two or three days before the NCAA? They're like, all right, tickets are available two days before. I'm like, well, I don't live in Eugene. I can't buy, right. I have work tomorrow. Like if you like, why aren't you, why are you telling me two days before that you can now buy tickets when it's, when like, imagine if they did right. it for the Super Bowl. Imagine like, oh yeah, by the way, like two days before the Super Bowl. Yep. This is where it's going to be. It's actually going to be in, you know, Tampa right. Bay and you can buy tickets two days before that wouldn't fly. But like in track, like, yeah, we can have, we'll let you know when we let you know. It's like, well, if, if someone that's like myself, that's like pretty big time fan of track and field, like I watch it a lot. If it's, if it's, yeah. it's difficult for me to try to buy tickets, it's going to be difficult for the average fan who is looking like, oh yeah, there's a meet coming up in, in a month. Let me see what's going on. Oh, there's no, right. or next week, there's no, we can't buy them here. It's like, you're shooting yourself in the foot. You're not allowing yourself to have these things where you can find right. out who these big time athletes are or, or whatever it might be. No, hundred percent. And I mean, think about it. I, you probably, I, I don't know if it's like at this point, but you probably can get Super Bowl tickets for this year's Super Bowl coming up in, you know, whatever, January, February, yeah. right now you could buy those tickets now. And 
oftentimes, like, yeah, obviously the closer you get to an event, you'll get more people like in interest and they'll be buying tickets closer to the event. But even a lot of the more popular things, they'll sell out months in advance, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like for a track fan, it's like, and especially like you said, like you're digging deep. You know what I mean? You're gonna you're gonna go through Google. You're gonna check every website. You're every avenue. If you can't find access, well, yeah, the average person is never gonna find access. I I was in shock when um, Indoor USA's one year was at Staten Island, right? Yeah. And I remember telling people, I'm like, I have not seen one Instagram ad for Indoor. And you USA. live and for perspective, you're you live close to that. Like you're in the right. radius of advertising for that meet. Right. I, I literally, it's like a less than a 40 minute drive to, to Staten Island, the ocean breeze yeah. facility. I mean, anybody in the tri-state area should have been getting blanketed with indoor USA's ads and, and trying to fill that, that venue. You know, I, I just, it doesn't make any sense where, I mean, they don't market the sport, you know, like they should, but I, I guess to, to go back to the athletes, like this is where it's like, I really feel like the athletes, like one, I want to see great competition. So I'd love for them to be a little less friendly sometimes, a little bit more competitive at the meets, but off the track, this is where the athletes need to come together. This is where they need to band together and be like, you know what, Colin, I am going to tell you how much Nike gave me last year. Cause you know what, if you know, and he knows and she knows, and now we all know now, now we have more leverage and we can talk about this stuff. Then also, if we start to band together, now we can be like, you know what? Um, we're not going to fail a drug test for a picogram, you know? And yeah. this is where going back to Shikari Richardson's case, this is where they could have had, you know, going into this Olympic year, Hey, we're not going to test for pot. That's no longer going to be part of the test. We're taking that out. You know, because if they so the NBA did happened. last year, yeah, the NBA, yeah. they said, yeah, we're not testing for this anymore. And right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But that's because the NBA has a strong players association. You know what I mean? Like, the, the, and the thing about it, the, the players band together and it's like, okay, we're, we're taking a stand. This, this is what we want. And then the owners have to, okay, well, do you know, are we going to fight about this or we just, we're cool with it too. You know what I mean? And I think when it's, um, like you were talking about consistent, fair and appropriate, you know what I mean? Punishment. Cause it's, listen, I don't think if like all of a sudden all the Olympic athletes or track athletes banded together, I don't think they'll all be like, uh, yeah, you know what? We want, uh, no testing at all. There's actually plenty of athletes. They want testing, but I think if even the athletes sometimes were able to be a part of that conversation so they could know the levels that things are getting tested. Cause did you hear the story about I guess there's the two female sprinters. They're not, their testosterone levels were too high for oh, the yeah. 400. And, 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 but they can do the 100 or the 500. Yeah. yeah. What, like, what is that about? I can't, I can't imagine. Could you imagine if all the track athletes were in a meeting and they're discussing the drug testing and that came up? They'd be like, uh, yeah, you can have too high of a testosterone level for the 400, but you can still run the 100. They'd be like, uh, excuse me? Uh, that doesn't make any sense. Like, either, you know, you're failing a drug test or you're not. Like, what, what does that even mean? Like, why? How come 100 meter runners can have higher testosterone? Yeah. You know, because because that even like as a fan makes me more suspicious. Like, wait, what? How come the 100 meter runners can have higher testosterone level? Like, again, I don't know the numbers, but it's like, are you saying it's like okay for them to dope a little bit? Like, I don't, 
but yeah. 400 we want super clean yeah it's i think that you know what it comes down to is just the like the leverage that the athletes have like it's in like i was just seeing all over just like track twitter like oh all and at any point you'll see athletes just tweeting about like hey the officials stink like i mean yeah the fact that you have unpaid volunteers uh you know that are shooting off guns at the world championships yeah that makes no sense to me you're right <laughs> like like that you don't have that in the nfl there was a there was the big outcry when the refs had the lockout that one for like what the preseason and like imagine yes. if imagine if that happened at you know with uh uh at the end at the NFL level, like what, when they had the six different callbacks and the, the one ten hurdles at the Olympic trials, you, you, you see that, like, imagine if they did something like that in the NFL, there would be a, there'd be outcry. If it's like, yeah, we're, we're, we're calling a foul six times in a row, but nothing, no foul shots or anything happened. It's, Oh, sorry. Something malfunction with right. the whistle. like that, that wouldn't happen. That'd be wild. So it's like, I think that having more leverage where, yeah, if there was this players association, athlete association, where the, you have like, I don't know, six, seven athletes from every country or whatever the percentage is, I have no idea how many would be. Mm -hmm. They can come together and say, Hey, look, like these are policies that we want to have entailed. Like, Hey, we want to have drug testing, but it's going to be like five times throughout the year, two random ones. If you ever break a world record or a national record, and like, it's not going to be between the hours of 6 a.m. and whatever, like it's going to be like, yeah. so you'll, it's reasonable. I think that would be so much better for the sport where you're not having the best athletes in your, the entire sport, not be allowed to compete because of some archaic rule. Right. And I mean, listen, I, I don't think that NFL athletes worry about drug tests the way that track athletes or Olympic sport athletes worry. Like you literally have Olympic sport athletes that they're concerned about buying something just in a store, like a grocery store, right? Like let's say a canned beverage or whatever. And it's like, oh my God, I might fail a drug test now. It's like, are, yeah. you, are you kidding me? Like I'm, I'm going to fail from something I bought in ShopRite. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, I, I think that, the, you know, when you have to constantly uh, save containers of supplements, right? Like, okay, these are all the protein powders that I've had in the past year. And there's like a little bit I left so that if I do fail a test, they can test my, my supplements and see if it was a tainted supplement so that I don't get in trouble. Like, I, they, they're doing so much above and beyond to try to show that they're clean, you know? Yeah. And again, I don't know. Like, obviously some people are failing drug tests and they're legit doping and they're, you know, whatever. But like, there's too many cases, I think, in our sport where people are failing drug tests. And it's like, are, you know, are they really PED, using PEDs? Was it something tainted? Is, is this even like something we should worry about? Are these levels where they're actually performance enhancing? Um, and, and then obviously with the Shikari Richardson case, I mean, again, if there was a Players Association, they could have leverage to discuss something like that and be like, look, like, maybe we shouldn't test for this anymore. You know, mm -hmm. maybe this is not, not a big deal, you know? Um, yeah. I just, I, I wish that there was representation where the athletes could discuss this um, and, and kind of alter some of this stuff. Cause I, I think our sport is, is governed under very different set of rules than, than the top four sports in America. You know, the, mm -hmm. there it's, it's different set of rules. Yeah. And the, the thing is, the athletes aren't making enough money for this to be a problem they should be worrying about. It's not like these guys are making 
$50 million a year. And so you can afford to make sure that you have someone testing it. Like Tom Brady can afford to have somebody testing every molecule of food to make sure it's not tainted. He could do that. Like some guy that is making that right. has a sponsor right. that's making them $30,000 a year. He's jumping from couch to couch, trying to make this professional thing work. They right. can't afford to like test every single thing. It's not worth right. it. You'd be spending every single dollar you have plus some on it. It's like, or we have yeah, the strictest yeah. sport. Lots of money. Yeah. 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 It's like, we don't like this. Why does the strictest sport, why is it also the one where it has the lowest amount of like, pay to the athletes it does like it should be the exact opposite if anything where he was like 100%. hey you don't have to worry about these levels because those are you know you could experience tainted amount of food at these levels so we're not going to test you there like it doesn't make sense it just seems completely backwards to me no I, look i i totally agree i you know i think you know bringing up what you just said here's you know this person who's sacrificing years off their career probably right sacrificing you know like getting married maybe or having a family to chase this olympic dream and they're not making any money and yet it's like oh wait i'm sorry uh your whereabouts form you didn't fill it out properly you weren't there so now we're going to give you an x for that and then oh my god we actually caught a picogram of this in your your blood sample so you know you can't go to the olympics it's like wait, I just sacrificed eight years of my life to try to go to the Olympics. You're going to take it away from me now? Like, like you said, it's like the, the payoff isn't there. It's, um, it's very interesting. So like, obviously, like as, as a, a business owner with pole vault, and, um, you know, I, I also have, you know, very strong ties to people in the strength and conditioning world. You know, I always find it like laughable. There's so many different like certifications for strength and conditioning coaches. And we always have these discussions and we talk about it. It's like, look, like there's certain ones. I, I think it's like the NASM. It's not terrible. I think it costs about a thousand dollars. You it's a, it's a good test. And if you pass that, like, okay, you can be a strength conditioning coach, go ahead, you know? And then someone will inevitably bring up like, well, you know, should you go to college, you know, and get your master's in exercise science or whatever? It's like, why would you spend like a hundred grand? on a master's that's not going to give you a dollar in return. Like no one cares. Like if you're looking for a strength and conditioning gym where you wanna get strong and get better at your sport and get faster and jump higher, you are, you are not going to care if someone got their master's. What you're gonna care is you're gonna walk into the gym, you're gonna see the athletes in there. Do they look strong? Do they look fast? Do they look like top tier athletes? Or do the workouts seem awesome? Is the environment great? Does this coach seem knowledgeable? You know, it's like those things are going to matter way more. If you get your master's and then it's not going it, to, literally you're going to get zero return on your master's, why would you get it? And I talk about it in the pole vault community. It's like, you know, I, I don't know. I know in the past and they, they were like super cheap. I think they were like 30, 40 bucks or something like that. There were some like pole vault coaching certification cards that you could get. And it's like, I, I don't know, like how many people are making money off of coaching pole vault that it would justify a certification program right now. Like, I just, I, I don't think it makes sense. And so going back to what you're saying with these athletes, these athletes are not making enough money to jump through all these hoops. It just, it doesn't make sense. It, it's almost to the point where it's like, if you are an athlete trying to go to the Olympics and you are not like 
you're not a Nike paid athlete. You're not one of those top people making uh, a few hundred thousand a year. It's like, why would you do it? It mm. seems crazy. You're going to make all these sacrifices, jump through all these hoops. And then, and then what? I mean, I don't know if you ever heard, um, I mean, I'm sure you know who Ronda Rousey is, the, yeah. the former UFC 135-pound uh, champ. She was undefeated for a long time. In her book, she talks about how when she got, I think, bronze at the Olympics, like that was her life's dream was to go to the Olympics and medal. And she finally did it. And then she's like, what the hell did I just do? Because she, at the time, she was homeless. She literally was living out of her car. And she's like, I did all this. And I'm, what, now what? What do I do? Mm-hmm. You know? It's like when you're like, what? There's a dog chasing after a car. You don't know what you're going to do when you actually catch it. And it's like, okay, I've reached this peak. I thought like, I've, I've seen, I listen to a lot of different podcasts and, and other stuff with Olympic athletes and people that have like, like you just mentioned with Ronda Rousey, where it's like, yeah, you're chasing that Olympic goal, that Olympic dream. And then you get it, you reach it. And you're, you realize, oh man, I'm not as fulfilled as I thought I would have been. Like, I, I thought that I was going to be, all of my problems were going to go away. Cause I finally, you know, got this Olympic gold medal, bronze medal, whatever it is. I thought that w- this was going to be the answer to it. And it's like, no, I'm, I'm still the same person. I just have a couple, I just have this little thing around my neck that says that I was, you know, I did, I did great. And so it's like, people are chasing after this thing that happens during a two week period. Like you're, you're chasing, like if you're a sprinter, you're chasing after 10 seconds of glory potentially for your, all these years. And so it's like, and if you don't reach it, there's not like, there's not much else that you're going to, I don't know, you, you can waste a lot of time going through all these hoops, spending all this money to try to reach this goal that, you know, is a very solid chance you do not get to, which can, is upsetting. Well, right. And I think like, look, obviously I am one of the first people to say, like, if you have a dream, you aspire to do something yeah. that's amazing, go after it. I mean, I started a pole vaulting club. I mean, my best friends were like, dude, you're stupid. Don't do that. Don't open up a pole vaulting club, right? Mm-hmm. Not going to make any money, right? Um, so I'm definitely the first, like, if you're really, you know, inspired and you really are passionate about something, really go into it. Now, that being said, like, like we said, I mean, this is why I think the, the athletes need to band together and, and create some more leverage on their side so they can call some of these shots. Um, the other thing, like you said, you're chasing that Olympic gold. Well, guess what? Once you get it, the next day, you still got to wake up and go to work. You still got to, you know, you're still, still got to go, go after it, you know? And when I coach now, even like my perspective has shifted a lot over the years. You know, when I first started coaching, it was like, all right, man, I'd, I'd love to coach a state champ or, oh man, I really like to coach, you know, a national champion in division three, right? Um, or, oh man, I'd love for someone to make it to USA or so, you know, but it's like now the shift has gone to different places. You know, now I view what I do as a coach, like, no, like this is about preparing people for life, right? Everything that we're doing in pole vault, right? Everything that I'm doing, training people, it's like, I'm trying to teach them about life and like to steal one of David Goggins things, right? For people that don't know, David Goggins was a guy that was like over 300 pounds, decided he wanted to be a Navy SEAL, became a Navy SEAL. And now he's an ultra marathon runner and, and very inspirational guy, right? And, and David Goggins says like, you know, it sounds depressing, but the sooner you understand this, the better off you'll be. The suffering never ends. 
-hmm. right? Like you think if you get that Olympic gold, that's like you said, it's going to solve every problem. Like I, I get Olympic gold. Guess what? That's going to solve my financial problems. I'm going to have more friends. I'm going to have a boyfriend, girlfriend, get married. No, you just got an Olympic gold. That's all you got. That's the only thing for sure that you're going to get. If you win Olympic gold, you win Olympic gold. All that other stuff you want in your life, you got to work for that too. You have to suffer to get those things too. You know, you want better relationships in life. You're going to have to work towards that. You know, you want better financial, uh, you know, situation for your life. You got to work towards that, you know, and these are all different things because I was there myself as a coach. I thought it's like, oh man, if I coach a state champ, people respect me more. Oh, if I coach a division three national champ or a national record, people respect me more. People love me more. No, you just do those things. You want more love and respect. You got to work for that, you know, and, and you got to go do something, you know, mm. and that, that shift, once that happened, you know, I was like, wow, this is different. And even when I think about training, because I think one of the saddest things you could see, in my opinion, is when you see an athlete that is retired. This is a person that was a physical specimen, trained really hard, accomplished so much. And you see them maybe just five years later, and they don't look like the same person. You could tell they haven't done a single workout. Their diet is probably terrible. They probably, their sleep is poor. They have complete, all the discipline they had during their athletic career, they have not translated it into their life. And the thing is like, if you, that's what we're supposed to be doing, right? That chase for Olympic gold, you got to take that discipline, that suffering you went through and apply it to the rest of your life so you can have a fruitful life many years after. Because there's a lot of great things that you can do besides the Olympic gold if you can translate that discipline into the rest of your life. And I feel like that's a conversation people don't, don't have enough, you know? Because we're so caught up on just getting that gold. Like you said, you're, it's that dog chasing that car. So busy chasing after that car, doesn't realize. If you actually chomp on that tire, guess what? You're gonna you know, get whipped around. Um, you don't realize what's the next step. Yeah, I have a like an interesting relationship like with the like the Olympics where it's like they have such a stranglehold on our sport where it's the only thing that matters in our sport and it only happens yeah. once every 4 years. And so it's interesting because Clayton Murphy, 800 meter runner going to the Olympics this year, he mentioned in like on a tweet probably 4 or 5 months ago the only thing that matters is how fast you're running at the Olympic trials. And if you make it to that team, if you make it great, if you don't, doesn't matter. It's like, it's so crazy that the biggest thing in our sport happens once every four years. Like we see all of this, all these people talking about track and field guarantee you, no one would know who Shakari Richardson was. If this wasn't an Olympic year, yeah. like no one would be talking about it. We're talking about it because it's an Olympic year and then it's going to yeah. die down. And then we'll talk about it again in Paris, 2024. And that's how it goes. It's a cyclical thing. And so once you have that, it's like, that's why there's so it's so difficult to for these athletes to grow a, a base because you don't have outside people supporting like mm -hmm. what's going on except every four years, which is, I think, why 
the fact that the Shakari thing happened now is so impactful because it's happening during an Olympic year at the very peak right. of people watching. Like if this happened like next year, no, you think anyone cares? You think J Joe Biden's no. getting asked in an interview? No, no one cares. But the fact that this is happening during the Olympics is the biggest thing and could actually see some change in the future because otherwise the Olympics has such a stranglehold. No one would care what was going on in the sport next year, two years ago, whatever it might be. Right. You know, and the other thing that I think about, especially when you talk about like growing your base, right? So if you're an athlete and you, you want to grow your base, I think what you're bringing up with the Olympics, it's interesting, right? Because on the Olympic year, right, you might get interviewed on Sports Center. you know, you might be on the Today Show, right? Like you win Olympic gold, you'll be on the Today Show and be around all that. And so you reach these like really high highs, right? And then after the Olympics is over, it's like you're back down to being like a B or C level sport, right? Yeah. You get that kind of treatment. And this is where, and, and it was funny, like this past week, um, I was super busy because in the mornings I was doing this youth track camp. It was kids from ages five to 12, right? And it was amazing. These kids were having a blast. Like, obviously I was coaching the pole vault, um, you know, and they were loving it. And again, my PR is like 14, not like it is 14, right? And um, it's not anything crazy. But I was like jumping a little bit at camp in front of the kids. You would have thought I was an Olympic, uh, you know, gold medalist. You know, these kids were going crazy. You know, I, I think I put the bungee to 12-6. You know, it was like not a big deal. And they were just, man, clapping, cheering. You know, it was an amazing feeling. And what I think sometimes this is the problem too. The Olympics gets you to those high of highs, right? Like if you were just on the Today Show, and then you're getting interviewed by, I don't know, Scott Van Pelt on ESPN. And now six months later, it's like, uh, why does nobody want to talk to me? Yeah. Well, you think you got fancy, right? You think, well, I'm only going to do things if it's like at that level, that ESPN Today Show level, right? Whereas like, no, you got to bump it back down. This is your opportunity. You should be doing a youth camp. You should do a little like club pole vault meet if you're a pole vaulter, you know? get those get grassroots levels to grow and you could build fan bases in all these little communities. And then all of a sudden, if the Olympics hits, you know, you're, you're still around when the Olympics hits again, now all of a sudden that's how you grow, grow your base. Now you have this huge base of supporters and that's how even like, you know, you were talking about like getting tickets for Olympic trials or, or division one nationals. And it's like, here's the thing, like that's how they would get more fans to go out. Because now at the grassroots level, all these athletes have grown their bases. And then you could even as, you know, a committee make a decision with like, wow, you know, you know, it's crazy. The track community in, in, I don't know, Western Texas or whatever is so strong. We should just put Olympic trials down there because we'll pack the stadium. Like we'll have a hundred thousand fans at Olympic trials. Mm. That's where we're going to go. You know what I mean? Instead, it's like, I don't know. They just like, it's like random. Like, hey, this is where we're going to put USAs. Well, are you going to get fans there? Nobody's going to go, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I, I think this Olympic cycle, it's like, it's funny because, you know, it, it kind of gets people to acquire this fancy taste 
and this like you know because like how is even shikari richards gonna handle this like she's so in the news right now and then next year like you said what what if nobody's even talking about her you know she's gonna i mean she's got the biggest following in all of track and field right now besides usain bolt and so it's like is this gonna trant like what's gonna happen the rest of this year because what your your suspension's only a month long so you're going to be able to compete like it like people think that when it's an olympic year it's like that's all like that's all they're doing no you have a lot of other like once the olympics are over it's not like your season's done and you pack it up for the off season the olympics happens in like for the professional circuit happens in like the middle of the year towards like the last third you still have another two months of track and field to run and so it's like so after the Olympics, all the fans right. are done watching because fans think track's over until 2024, but you still have to run. Like you still have a couple more meets that you got to compete in to make the rest of your money up. And so it's like, are people going to care, you know, when you're running in a diamond league meet in, in Oslo in, in August or, or September, like, are people going to care about you then? I hope so. I mean, I love track, so I'd hope that they would, but it's like, are they though? I don't know. And so I think that's where the fact that track and field is spread so thin and it's so difficult to watch these top level people. I mean, personally, I would love if it was just like the UFC method where it's like, Hey, we're going to have, it's like, yeah, we're going to have Sam Kendricks versus Mondo DePlantis. We're going to have like uh, Omar McLeod versus Grant Holloway, Shakari Richard. Like it's like the big names competing against each other in this big time meet and race. And they're all going to happen. So it's going to be a great meet. It doesn't yeah. happen. It doesn't happen like that. And so it's just like, the business side of our sport is so difficult because it's well, spread so thin. Well, yeah. Right. And I, and I think, you know, what you're bringing up too is like, instead of like, they just view the Olympic year as like, okay, well, the Olympics are our world championship. Well, look at every other sport, you know, the Olympics are just the Olympics. They still, you know, the NBA still has an NBA championship, you know, the major league baseball or NHL, right. They still have their championships. And it's like, instead of, they should view the Olympics as like, oh, let's capitalize off this popularity and then have a tournament afterwards and declare a world champion after. Like, there's, first of all, there should be world championship every single freaking year in track and field. There should yeah. be no gap year. And even on Olympic years, we should have a world championship. So it's like if they, they could capitalize off that Olympic popularity and then run a tournament and be like, oh, my God, well, will the Olympic gold medalist win the world championship two months out, you know what I mean? When they do this tournament style, like imagine like what you're describing. Like, it's like, we start with this field of like, let's say in each event, it could be like 25 people. And then each week we like make the Pull field down, smaller, yeah. make the field small. And could you imagine like that? I mean, I think it would be amazing in the hundred. It's like, now we're down to the last four for the world championship. So one of them will not medal. You know what I mean? Like, I think that would be crazy. Like, what what amazing! Like, you just keep dwindling it down. I mean, for me as a pole vault nut, like, oh my god, I think that would be amazing. Seeing like, you know, every week like two, three vaulters get cut out from the field because they didn't jump high enough, and mm-hmm. then you get to those last couple people, and it's like, all right, this is going to be really amazing. That's why I love the pole, like the like the jump, the vertical jump trials. I almost like better than like the, the final, because it's like, right. oh man, your favorite guy, like if like that miss, like you don't even make the final. So it's like, you, you'll see right. people like, that's when your misses mean a lot because it's like you, once you like, you're trying to just get into that, that final. And so like, you see athletes that 
they it's like oh this guy had no business making it into the into the into the final but you you were clean right. for through your first two or three attempts and so it gets exciting because you have people like you know the the top guys who are coming in at the last bar and they make it in their end right. then like you have a, a big group of people at the bottom where it's like oh man like if this person misses this bar they're not making it to the final it's like it can get it can get really exciting and that's like the stuff that you know you could have more of where it's like, hey, if sure. you don't make this bar, you don't make it to round two, and then you don't make it to round three, whatever right. it is. Right. You you really kind of see people slug it out because, like you said, the top top people they're jumping one bar and they're done. But then there's all those people in the middle that it's like they've kind of they got to show up, like they they got to get through this trial. And I think even with the sprints, I think it's always amazing. It's like you know the top people they're trying not to run their fastest fastest race. You know they're always yeah. like kind of backing off at the end. How dramatic would that be? It's like someone backing off and then they get nipped at the end because, you know, they're trying to save it for the final or the quarterfinal or whatever. And, and it's like, oh, man, now now that guy didn't make it through because he was trying to be strategic and it, strategy didn't work, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and, and look, you see it in the vertical jumps as well where someone thinks they could just clear one bar and then all of a sudden it's like they have two misses and they're down to one attempt at this opening bar that they thought was going to get them into the final. A lot of dramatic things can unfold, you know? Yeah. But I think even kind of going back to how we got here, if the athletes had a player's association, these are things that I think the athletes could use their leverage and get us to that place. You know, I think right now, because the athletes are not involved in this process, this is why we have this stale sport you know i mean because what's the incentive i mean and i know a lot of people have discussed this even people like joe rogan who are you know joe rogan's a mma guy but you know he'll talk about it. it's like the olympics is the only sports event where the athletes don't get paid i mean okay if you get a medal right so the top three get some kind of pay i think gold gets something stupid like thirty thousand dollars i can't even imagine you spent like four to 10 years training and you get 30 grand, like yeah. give me a break. Right. But it's like, none of the field is getting paid anything, nothing. You go to the Olympics, you get nothing. If you don't play, you get nothing. And it's like, dude, in any other sport, you could be the backup. You could be the backup kicker on an NFL team. You're getting paid. You know, you could be like the left bench linebacker and you're getting paid, you know, or even in MMA, if you are in the undercard, you're on the under undercard for a UFC event and you get knocked out, you're getting paid. You're getting paid. You get some money for showing up, you know, and this, we, we have the only sport where, where athletes are going there and they're not getting paid. And again, I think like you brought up, it's like the Olympics have this stranglehold on a lot of people's like minds. Like people think it's like, Oh, the Olympics, is the only thing that matters. And it's like, Dude, you're not gonna get you're not gonna get paid, especially if you're that person that's scratching clawing just to make it. You know what I mean? You're not one of the top people. You won't make a single dollar. You'd probably be better off doing a circuit in your local area, right? Like let's say you live in the Northeast where I'm at. You know, do a circuit in your local area, start to drum up support, and you could probably get paid to do events in this area, which is what I, I'm getting kind of happy because you're starting to see more clubs are starting to host events and offer a little bit of prize money, nothing crazy, but 
you know, a little bit of prize money. And that's, I think that's a positive sign because it's like a grassroots level. It's starting to bubble up and we're growing it in our area. Cause I, I can see at some point if certain events or certain sports like track can start to do their own thing, like the American track league, even, yeah, you know, you could see athletes being like, well, yeah, I'm not, I'm actually not even going to try to go to the Olympics. I'm just going to do this circuit because there's more money in this and I don't have to travel as much and it's local. And, you know, I think that would be awesome. Yeah. Uh, I, that's what I'm hoping like with the, the American track league, because I've no, I, I can know, know of a few of them really well. Like I've been, I'm in contact with them. And I think that it's something that has potential to like, hopefully like, cause personally it's like, I would love to have track meets here in the United States that I could go yes. to. Like, I mean, what mm -hmm. the, in diamond league, there's one diamond league race in the entire, in the United States. It's in Eugene this year. There's one. Okay. And like, so it's like, you're ha there's only going to be one time this entire year. The top level athletes are around here. Obviously this is me saying it selfishly, like everyone in Europe, I'm sure everyone in Europe would want to keep it in Europe as well. Like, like, so it, it makes sense, but like selfishly, I'd be like, yeah, I'd love to have this thing where, like, yeah, the top level athletes are competing here. They're making, like, I want them to be making money. Like, I love, it's like, yeah, your tickets are going to like, actually with the American track league thing, they, they even said like, Hey, we're going to have a pay-per-view for the second half of the meet. And uh, to let you know what, where your money's going towards, it was like 70% of those proceeds are going towards the prize purse for the athletes. Right. So it's like, yeah. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's great. Like you're telling me that yes. by purchasing this, you are helping paying these athletes uh, you know, for coming out. It's like, I think that's perfect. And I would love to see that happening more because then a lot of these athletes might be like, you know what, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to compete in these meets, uh, you know, around the U S and I'm going to make more money and it's going to be, you know, easier for people to, to watch as well. Cause they're doing it on, on ESPN. So it's like, I think that there's potential for our sport to, to grow, but it's like, we got to stop biting ourselves in our, in the foot with it it's yeah yeah well and and even like you know you bringing up the meets in in europe i mean like listen like if again if you're a top tier person i'm sure you're getting appearance fees you make a little bit yeah. of money but for the most part i i've heard plenty of story where people go to europe to compete at these diamond league meets but they're low man on the totem pole and they actually end up losing money going to europe yeah. they lose money like it, it doesn't make any sense like um, I, I guess even like, okay, so now let me talk about my pole vaulting club. I, I, you know, again, with the long Island location, I, I talked to Brad and Toby a lot about like the business end of running a club. And, and I talked to a lot of people like who hit me up through email and, you know, social media. And I, you know, I give them this tidbit. And so I got this from Chris Cooper. He's a CrossFit guy and he talks like uh, gym business stuff. Yeah. And he sent out this email one day and he goes, some of the biggest gyms, like physical space wise, don't make any money. Some of the gyms with the best equipment don't make any money. Some of the gyms with the best athletes who are like winning the CrossFit games don't make any money. And you're like reading through this list. And if you didn't know anybody, you're like, oh my God, why, why don't they make any money? Like that's, that sounds like a winning formula, right? If you have a big space, the best equipment, and your athletes are winning the CrossFit games, you should be like raking in the dough. Like you should be doing awesome, right? And no, a lot of times like people have too much overhead, right? As, as a business, right? They, they can't afford their rent. They bought way too much equipment that they don't need. And then 
they're spending way too much time with, I don't know, maybe 2% of their clientele who probably aren't even paying because we know top tier athletes, they, they expect to be coached for free. And this happens in the pole vault too. Like I, I see it all the time. And, and I know there have been years where like, let's say from a performance standpoint, right? Like whether it's high school state meets or division three or whatever, people might look at apex and be like, wow, you know, they didn't have a lot of top tier people that year. The thing is they have no idea what's happening inside my, my gym. Like the gym is packed. We're running double sessions. We have plenty of clients. Our clients are happy. Our community is happy. I didn't, I didn't buy, let's say, I don't know, um, poles that were like, instead of five pound jumps, like two pound jumps, you know, for like one athlete who was trying to do whatever, you know what I mean? It's like, I didn't spend exorbitant amounts of money on equipment that we didn't need, you know? And, you know, I think the same is, is could be said in, in the pole vault club scene. It's like, there's a lot of pole vault gyms that are bending over backwards to try to have the best this and the best that. And they, and they might even have somebody jumping super high, but it's like, do they have a profitable business? You know, are they doing something that's actually going to grow and last for 20, 30 years, you know? And I think a lot of times these athletes, let's say we're coming out of college, you know, when they're coming out of college, okay, let, let's talk. What's the window? You know, are you, let's say you graduate, you know, let's say next year, are you just trying to make it to the next Olympic games? Are we looking at a four year career? Are you going to try to do this for 10 years? Okay. Let's say we decide on 10 years. Well, what's our plan of action? What are the best business decisions that we can make to try to make it big and actually get you to make money? Because there's a lot of athletes, I think if they looked at it from a business perspective, they like outside looking in, you might see that guy that's going to Diamond League meets in Europe and be like, oh, I got to do that. I got to I gotta go to Diamond League meets. But if you do the math and you're like, wait, I'm going to end up losing five grand this summer if I go to Diamond League meets where I could just stay at home, train, go to the American track league, go to these other smaller meets where there's a little bit of cash, right? Like prize money, where I can actually make money and I can still work on my craft and still prepare to make a world team or an Olympic team. Mm -hmm. Well, that might be a better option. Yeah. Right. So if we, if we all of a sudden start doing it that way, instead of like, Oh man, I got invited to the diamond league meet. You got invited, dude, you're going to have to, you have to get a passport, which, I mean, I get it. You're going to have to get a passport regardless, but it's like, you're going to have to fly out there. Uh, you're going to have to have somewhere to stay. You're going to have, all of a sudden it's like, you start doing that. You got invited. I, yeah. Thanks, man. I, I can't make it, you know? Yeah. It's all about like, because it's the, it's the shiny, it's like the shiny toy. It, it'd be mm -hmm. like, if you live in, I don't know, like someplace it snows all, let's just say like you live in in Maine or whatever. It's like, yeah, you'd love to have that Lamborghini that has back wheel drive and razor thin tires. Cause it would look, it would look sick during the summer. Like you look super cool. It's like, yeah, it's like, it's a shiny toy that everyone thinks is, is perfect. Car. It's a perfect car. It's like, but it's not realistic because the bet, the more realistic car in your situation would be, you know, getting a four wheel drive car that might be a little clunky, but it gets the job done and it's going to be more effective for when that snow is going to come. And so it's like, right. yeah, the, the Olympics of it, it's like, yeah, the diamond league, like, yeah, it, it's shiny toy. It's great to say I was uh, this, that, the other, but it's like, yeah, I could, I could do that and have all the, the admire, like, you know, have everyone know my name, but I'm making no money or I'm, or I'm losing money or like, right. Hey, let me go and race in these small meets that I could do 
you know, I could do dang near three or four a, a month or whatever around the right. U.S., make money. Yeah, no one knows who I am, but I'm, I'm making more money than people that are big time names. It's like, but that's not as appealing because you want to, your idea of a professional athlete is I want to be known by everyone as well for some people at least. Right. Well, I, and, and I think what's interesting, like you said, like, okay, maybe you won't be as well known, but I'd actually like push back against that. I think in your local area, you might be better known than some of the bigger names. Cause I mean, look at my pole vaulting club, like I mentioned big names, you know, right behind me over here, you can see the Mondo poster, right? So we'll, we'll talk about some of the big names, but that being said, you go to the average high school pole vaulter or you go to the average college, even pole vaulter, you'd be shocked at how many of them don't know the professional names. They're more, sometimes more likely to know the local guy. You know what I mean? Like I, I feel like, for example, like in upstate New York, you know, in the Rochester area, Zach Ferreira, he's a 1710 guy. I bet you more people know who Zach Ferreira is in that area than they probably know who, um, oh, I don't know. Casey Lightfoot even, right? Like to me and you, we know Casey Lightfoot, right? That's a big name, but it's like, there might be a lot of people in the Rochester is like, who's Casey Lightfoot? How high does he jump? Oh, I love Zach. I saw him at that local meet. Like he's awesome. He jumps so high, right? So it's like, you could actually like, you could see a situation where if you have like a little meet in a local area where you had that local guy, he might have more people in the stands like clapping for him or her than than the professionals. They're like, what the hell? Why does everyone want you know, take a picture with this guy. Like they should want my picture, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's like that, that's the thing that's very interesting too. And, and at the end of the day, right. If you make those smart choices in, let's say that 10 year window, right. You decide you have a 10 year window that you want to train in. It's like, if you make those smart choices and you don't lose five grand going to Europe for those diamond league needs, and instead you save money slash make a few bucks. Right. And, you know, maybe because now you don't, you know, go to Europe and, you stay local and you even, I don't know, start your career while you train, right? Now in that 10 year window, you've started your career, you make a little bit of money, you didn't waste a lot of money and you keep just chipping away and getting better. So that now when you get to that Olympic trials, wow, you make the team and you made good financial decisions. I, I think that could be a, a way better off. And my even bigger argument, and I'll put this out there for any athlete, you can even start a track club or if you're in pole vault, start a pole vaulting club and start to slowly grow that where if you really love the sport and you want to stay in it for a long time, you could eventually then turn that like when you're, when you're done competing, it's kind of your full-time gig is you coach that club and you have a small business now that you started and you just keep rolling that. Yeah. I think, uh, get thinking of the little picture first of like the, mm-hmm. like, yeah, sure. Worldwide, more people know who Casey Lightfoot is than, uh, you know, Zach, uh, you said Zach, Zach Farrar, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, Farrar, worldwide, yeah. yeah, worldwide, more people, but it's like, if, if you're not getting much, uh, you know, much, I guess, um, you know, crowds at these giant meets that nobody goes to, it, it's going to be more impactful. Yeah. When you're at the, the beach vault in, and there's, uh, tons of kids cheering you right. on like holy crap like you see this guy he jumps 17 feet which is you know something that there are tons of kids that jumps there, there's a dime like 17 feet it's 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 very impressive but there's a ton of people that jump 17 feet but it's like it right. when it once once you're at a certain height 
fast is fast, high is high. like it doesn't matter if you jump the world record or if you jumped 15 feet. To someone that doesn't know what's going on, they're both just as impressive. And so it's like take their right. and be able to. It's how you can market yourself as you know. What's your personality off the track? Like, do you are you doing interviews? Are you trying to create rivalries? Are you an interesting person? That's why Shakari is so interesting because not only is she fast, yeah. she has a huge personality. And like, she's unapologetically her. And that's why everyone loves her. Cause it's like, she just, she's just who she mm-hmm. is. She, and she's funny. She's good. Like, so that's like, there's not a lot of athletes like that. And that's why I think it's, it hit home so hard. Cause like a lot of people could see themselves as her, um, especially a lot of young black ladies and to, to see like, Oh, now she can't compete in the Olympics. It's like even more heartbreaking. Cause it's someone that people latched onto, um, you know, as a, right. as a person. Yeah. Yeah. I, I listen, I, I, I agree. I think, you know, just the, the things that I've seen with her and just even just watching her across the finish line when she runs, like, man, she just she's so aggressive. You know what I mean? And you could see, it's like, it's also very authentic. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Like that's just her is. energy. You know what I mean? Which is, it's, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, so yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that we start seeing some some change going on with how the hopefully it's probably never going to happen, but I'd love to see some type of players association or or what it is, because there's a lot of broken systems that are kicking out the biggest names in our sport because they were at Chipotle and not at home or whatever it is. <laughs> it's, just like, it's, it's just ruining it. And I'm sure we could talk about this for another hour or whatever. Yeah, Don't yeah. want to take up too much of your your time. But Bronco, thank you so much for, for joining us. It, always no great problem. to talk with you, man. Yeah, and anytime, man. Awesome. Well, have a good one for you. And for anyone listening, uh, it's been another episode of Track World News. Uh, if you want more content, you can follow us on Instagram at Track World News. Post a lot of stuff over there. Also, make sure that you like the episode. Smash that like button. Uh, <laughs> leave a follow. Subscribe. Also, leave a review. It really helps us know you're enjoying what's going on. Uh, have a good one, and we'll talk to you soon. Peace. I'm not going to do that.